Parenting's hard, you don't know what to do. You're blaming your kids, but it's probably you. You love your kids and that you can trust. Just remember your kids don't suck. Welcome to your kids don't suck. Cultivating closeness with your children through non-coercive conscious parenting. We're your hosts, Kara Tedstone and Rathia Lee. Let's dive in and grow together. Welcome to another episode of Your Kids Don't Suck. And if you've made it this far, hopefully your kids are sucking less and less in your mind. We have two special guests today, and I get to introduce them because I brought them here. This is Rithia talking, in case you're wondering. Um, so I was thinking this morning while I was doing my dishes how, you know, we we think of the word heroes and it's kind of this grandiose thing with our culture that's so into um celebrities and people who get big awards and stuff but sometimes the heroes in your life are the people you're closest to and so oh I'm gonna cry. <laughs> so um I'm introducing one of my best friends in the whole wide world who is like my family for a really long time. And I guess I met you when I was what, 20? Do you know how old I was, Naomi? Yeah, you were 20, like, 21. I was 20 or 21. I was a little baby. And um, this is Naomi Sparrow, who I'm introducing, who is my best friend and for a very long, long time. And her daughter, Maggie, who's like my niece. Um. And I met I met Naomi at a time where I really feel like my life could have uh, gone off the rails. It was going off the rails. I was I was a trauma survivor and I was fleeing my family of origin. I really felt they were going to come after me. And I was so terrified and so alone. And I met sort of just the right people at just the right moment who who caught me. And Naomi is one of the major, major people who who actually taught me what I, I didn't know what racism was. I didn't know what sexism was. I didn't know what homophobia was. I didn't even know what gay people were. I didn't know. I didn't know anything because I'd grown up so sheltered and um, so abused. And Naomi very, very patiently and lovingly said, OK, here's some books you have to start reading. <laughs> I started with Audre Lorde's books. That's how that started. Um, yeah, my life began to change. And so then Naomi had Maggie way before I had my daughter and Naomi was raising Maggie in a way that I truly truly did not understand um I didn't have a kid and I'd never seen anyone do it this way and I just thought she was too loving too kind too patient and what was her fucking problem like Maggie'd been crying and now she and now she'd been crying for over five minutes and now you have to say, Okay, enough crying. Jesus Christ. <laughs> and I'd be I'd look at her and be like, What's your problem? Why aren't you, you know, why aren't you being an asshole? Now's the time to be an asshole. And that felt so, you know, familiar to me. I didn't really know anything about parenting, but this was really out of the box. And um so I would say Naomi is was the first non coercive parent I ever met. And was close to, and and we didn't call it that, and she didn't call it that, and she's going to tell you more about that. And then Maggie is is a person who grew up this way, so wow, <laughs> we have a real live person who's actually lived their whole childhood being loved as a whole human being, and and what's that like from the child's perspective? We never get to hear from the child's perspective. We always hear from the parent who's like dying, trying to stop being 
uh, so controlling. And so, yeah. So this is Naomi Sparrow and Maggie Marsden Sparrow. Is that right? Yes. They are Canadians. They live in Ontario. Quebec. Quebec. (laughs) Right. I think for me, this is, it's just such a cool experience because, you know, when I started doing this, parenting thing I really didn't expect it to be like this like I did not I was did not set out to be an alternative parent or to to have any I didn't think about parenting at all Hmm. I went into becoming a parent with complete naivete I thought it was just I thought childbirth was going to be like easy because I'd read spiritual midwifery I thought I had rose-colored glasses on so thick that I remember walking down the street when I was close to term and women would give me these looks, you know, they'd give me this like, like warrior, like, hmm, I see you look. And I'd be like, what? Like, I didn't get it at all <laughs> until I got into the actual real experience of being a mom that is childbirth and actually a baby that cried constantly and never slept. And, you know, the beginning of the, you know, the shattering mm. of my, my sense that I was a separate person. And that experience just, I mean, it was, it was so intense. And then I began to understand like, you know, why when I told my mother that I was pregnant, she kind of went pale and looked terrified, you know, because it's such a challenging thing and can be so isolating, especially for, for women and, and for people trying to do things like be authentic. And so for me, I had no idea. I really, Maggie let me know from the get-go that she was different. She was a completely different baby than I'd ever met. And I had no idea what I was doing. And so I really just, in a way, was like trial by fire of just trying to be myself. And so this experience here of having it come full circle to have, you know, my my bestie, this person that <laughs> means the world to me, Rathia, um, kind of really create this space not just for obviously this isn't for maggie and i it's for like you know the world but to have my my fabulous divergent daughter you know suddenly have this like it's a value Mm. instead of being this thing that we're struggling to like protect because i think my journey as a mom in terms of parenting i didn't have language for what i was doing i didn't i was just trying not to be a jerk i was just trying not to you know, hurt her and get away with it and then justify myself. So this experience for me of being like that here we are and we're being like, I don't know, we we get to talk about it in a community, in a context that values this is just, it feels so, feels like magic sprinkles on top of of something, you know? (laughs) I love that. So what do you feel when you hear your mom talk about the journey? What's that like for you? It's very interesting because uh, my perspective of it was very different, <laughs> given that I was a child. Um, but at the same time, I do remember a lot of solidarity, I guess, in mm. the journey because it was so like out there and different in terms of like you know people's judgment of it. So like I remember a lot of people being weird um about me <laughs> and you and 
you know, hearing like conversations talking about like me as this sort of entity, <laughs> like the way that I was being parented as this sort of like over there thing. And I'm like, I'm right here, guys. <laughs> I'm hearing you talk about this in relation to me. What well, what did it look like? Like what was so different about you all? Right? right. Right. So when Maggie was a baby, she cried a lot. She, she would be like a high knees baby. I, I struggled for language. She just, day two, she started crying. By six months, if she cried too hard, she would projectile vomit all over the place. So by the time she was like six months old, she had me trained. I was completely attentive to her. And most people, like I'd never met a baby like that. I could not put her down. We had, my first clue was when she was an infant and we went to a party with all the other kind of new moms in our little mom group. And they all like had their babies in little buckets and whatever, you know, the baskets <laughs> on the couch. <laughs> we had a friend whose baby was so mellow, they would just leave him on the couch. He was the same wow. age as Maggie, like three weeks different. And they just walk away for like hours. They come and chuck him under the chin and he goo goo gaga, right? <laughs> and I remember he started crying at this party and they were freaking out. They were like, he's having a meltdown. And his crying was like, Wah. it was this gentle, soft little crying. And he never cried. So they were freaking out. And I remember like looking at, you know, Maggie's dad, Alan at the time and being like, oh my God, like we're in a different reality from everybody else here because maggie cried and when she cried it was like her head was going to explode like she cried for hours every day and it was just like you couldn't put her down you couldn't so it was just right out of the gate it was a lot to say <laughs> and i couldn't i couldn't when i handed her to other people i swear she'd be enraged with me afterwards <laughs> she very quickly was like i prefer you and so as things progressed, because I was the one that, so I was a somatic movement therapist by training. I, I had a degree in anthropology and I was deeply devoted to like liberation, you know, theories and anti-authoritarianism. And, you know, I have a history of trauma. And so I was, I had early experiences of being deeply controlled and coerced by people who were without a doubt, projecting their extreme distress on me and justifying that and getting away with it. And I had no recourse. And so I was deeply devoted as a person to these core values that were about liberation and, you know, authenticity and creativity. And so I had this child that was like incredibly beautiful, <laughs> incredibly engaging. Like when we walked down the street, People would stop, all, all the old grandmas, everybody would stop us and be just like, oh my God, this is the most beautiful baby. But she was amazing as long as she was with me. <laughs> and so I had a good few years of having no idea what I was doing until I discovered a book that literally fell off the shelf on me as I was reaching for a different book. And it was a book on attachment parenting, on the history of attachment parenting, sort of like an um, intellectual or an, um, whatever, like a literature review. And I just, you know, was the first like weighty book or intellectual thing I read. Um, Maggie was like three and a half at that point. And at that point I was just, it was like I was, all I knew is that I loved her more than anything else on this planet. And I could tell when she was being hurt and I would do anything to not have her be hurt where it could be avoided. And I certainly didn't want her to be hurt and then have people validate and justify that what they were doing was actually good for her. 
when I could see that it was mostly their distress and arbitrary. I also was doing counseling, like peer counseling and like, you know, my whole life was about healing. So I was certainly not going to let people get away with stuff and then justify it. And that included me. So I was super motivated to, that was really where I started with, right? Was just trying not to act out distress on my kid and, and justify that. Um, but what's an example of hurting her? Because people would be like, what do you mean by hurting right. her? Well, right. It, it could be anything. With Maggie, she was so sensitive. <laughs> it literally, that's a really funny answer. It's it could really, be literally anything. It's a really good question. Like she was so sensitive and so like responsive. Yeah. Wow. So that it was like, it could be forcing her to put mittens on when she didn't want to. Yeah, like wearing a coat. Because I hated layers. I still do, actually, to be fair. <laughs> I hated layers as a kid, and I know that that's a big thing with parents is like, oh, my kid keeps taking their coat off, and it's like winter time, and I'm like, I was just like that forever. <laughs> so people would, would stop me on yeah. the street and say, your daughter's cold, put on, how can you, what a bad mother, put her coat on? And I'd be <laughs> like, yeah, you try. Because you couldn't, like, she literally have all these photos of her like in groups of other kids and all the other kids are dressed up to the night, like all covered in swathing hats and scarves. And Maggie's literally just wearing snow pants and a t-shirt and they're all playing outside and she's like, fine. <laughs> so it's like, they're all, now I know she had sensory issues. Now I know that she's probably, we are now diagnosing with autism, right? And if I'd known that, that would have helped. It would have given me an anchor to understand, but I, when I say hurt, I don't mean like capital T trauma. I just mean her face would go blank. She would look scared and overwhelmed and she'd withdraw. She'd shut down. Mm -hmm. I, I mean that she would. Uh, I'm trying to, I was been trying to think of examples and like, uh, one of the things I just remembered is like, uh, clothing shopping. Like, being taken clothing shopping by, like, extended family or, like, other parents, because I have four. And just, like, uh, I had terrible, terrible, well, not terrible boundaries, but, like, I had a lot of boundary issues as a kid in terms of, like, not wanting to disappoint people. And so I remember going shopping uh, with family and, like just being unable to say no to stuff and and them getting super weird and intense about clothing and being like oh my god you should totally get this and being like okay and then they would get it for me and i would never wear it because i didn't actually want it and then them it just sort of perpetuating the weirdness and then i'd be like i don't like shopping at all basically mm -hmm. <laughs> because it's like any any time basically something happened and I didn't like it, that would be it. <laughs> like anytime after that, I would be like, we've, we've lost the chance for this to be an enjoyable experience. <laughs> we've hit a limit and it doesn't matter what even happened. Like my tolerance policy for a lot of things was so low. And then it got labeled as like, oh, anxiety oh sensitivity like you're such a sensitive little guy <laughs> or, um, or later it got labeled as moody like you were being moody that's true 
Yeah. So people make up stories about kids. Right. And that was another thing I noticed. They would make up stories about her. Like, like another one was like, oh, why won't, you know, stepmom saying, I can't get her to eat vegetables. How are we going <laughs> to, people would say like, how are we going to get her to be more this or get her to do that more? And I, w- I would, I would not join with that. So I just never joined with trying to make Maggie do things unless they were really necessary. I had like a very low, it was like, it was very hard to make Maggie do anything she didn't want to do. She was incredibly sensitive (laughs) and I wanted to be close to her and I didn't want to like have her feel alone in the universe. So I just, I very quickly, it became clear to me that I couldn't make her do anything without using coercion, without, without force, without, I would have to scare her. I would have to get angry. I would have to punish or manipulate or shame. Shame was a big one because that one is like a family thing. I felt like shame was probably the one I used the most would be like covert shaming. And it took, it took us, I mean, I think that's what I used when she was littler. And, you know, it was really our motivation was a big one was how to get her to do things, <laughs> clean up, what would be clean up, the like eternal question with this kind of thing, right? Parenting It's like, right. how do I get my kid to do stuff, though? Right, like go to school, like she wasn't having it. She wasn't having it. I couldn't make her stay in places without mm-hmm. me, people she didn't want to be with, without having to, you know, pry her fingers off of me. And, and to me, that felt like, oh, she's expressing hurt. Like if she was crying and saying, I don't want to, and really upset, I would listen to her. And so that was really one of the big differences. Other people were all for forcing her to do things she didn't want to do, like go to school, be without me. Cause, cause for her, it was like, she needed access to me at all times, or she would, I don't know, like, I don't know if I want to define it for you from the outside. <laughs> it looked like she was kind of losing her center. Like Can I she- just interrupt you for one second? Please. I just want to, I, in, in to add into what you're saying, Maggie, when you're talking about clothing shopping, you're referring to the coercive half of your family, aren't you? Yeah. Yes, this is true. So you're talking about what it was like to shop with people who weren't listening to you. And so it sounds like you would give yourself up or people please. Is that right? Did I? Oh, 100%. <laughs> I would just disappear completely. <laughs> uh-huh. So Naomi, you're saying you were committed. You could see when that was happening. You actually could notice when that was happening and you didn't want that to happen. Yeah. Right. So it's not well, like people were beating her, or screaming at her. It's all soft stuff, but it still had an amazingly powerful impact on her, mm-hmm. the coercion. But, but you know what's interesting, too, about this is I think this language is coming into the context now of um, folks with highly sensitive kids or kids that go on later to realize, like, a lot of what I was doing, mom and dad, when I was young, was masking. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> I was masking. I wasn't being authentic. I was just doing, you know, putting on a face so that I could get through the day. And it sounds like, Naomi, you were clued in to not wanting your kid to have to do that. It's amazing to me that you had that understanding at that time. Right. Right. Because the other thing I did was I stood in the way of it for her. I was, I was passionate mama bear. And so I would take on everybody else. So other, I wouldn't join with it. And that's what got me into trouble. That's what Maggie said. It was also weird. It's like those conversations. She's talking about people talking about, well, you know how your mom is, or, you know, you know how Naomi is. It's like, (laughs) it's like it was seen as being permissive or it was judged. Even Rathia referred to it at the beginning. Rathia would take me aside and very gently ask me what the heck I was doing being so permissive with my daughter, like, didn't I think that children needed to know who the authority was? 
didn't I think structure was a big one. You were like, she needs structure. And I'd be like, oh, you know, I did <laughs> to some degree. And I do. But you but. didn't need to be structured. Well, this is a good one, actually, because she would say you would say like, oh, she'd be interested in something. And then the other people will go, okay, so let's make all kinds of plans for you based on your interest. Ugh. And then that would quickly degenerate Ugh. into them trying to coerce her. Exhausting. But you're so gifted at music and you're so good at, you have such potential. So it's all this covert control where they're trying to make her become something, mm -hmm. right? They're worried about her developing her gifts. And mm -hmm. it becomes this whole guilt trip of like, don't you want to be great? We're just trying to make you develop your gifts. But actually... <laughs> They're, they're controlling, they're expressing their anxiety about her. Really, she, it makes her feel like she's supposed to perform for them. And right, like you're supposed to be something well, to got, please them. It made me very good at telling where, like when someone has an agenda. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like that is, that is one of my biggest skills now is like hearing somebody say something and going, what do you want from me? <laughs> you right. want something from me? What's going on? Yeah. That's amazing. Maggie, that's really, yeah, because I had the question of like, what, you have friends, what's it like to have been raised so differently? Mm. And how can you tell? How can you tell you were raised so differently? We did have a couple of friends, so we unschooled. Yeah. So you did have a couple of friends. Like that's true. Jude and but they still weren't. No, none mm -hmm. of my friends, because like, regardless of how, and I was thinking about this yesterday, actually, when you were talking about your, your parenting friends, because I'm like, as much as they understood, like, the whole like not you know joining with other people's thing about uh, kids they also weren't not coercive at all right um i don't remember a lot of adults being well that's not true i do remember a lot of adult other like parents trying to be coercive but they couldn't really get in there very much because my mom was so like in the way of it like, people would say stuff to me, and then I would come home and, like, check with her. <laughs> I'd, like, fact check it. Like, is this a thing that I need to be worried about or think about? And she'd go, no. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, but definitely in terms of my friends, like, it's hard to say how much of it was non-coercion versus just, like, homeschooling. Because <laughs> I was also, like, homeschooled, unschooled, um, which was a big thing at the time. Uh, and so I remember a lot of my friends, uh, whenever I would tell them that I was homeschooled, they'd get very jealous because they all had to go to school and they hated school because they were all little freaks like I was, <laughs> um, you know, future, future diagnosed <laughs> freaks, uh, affectionate. What about in terms of, I mean, here's, here comes the thing about, do we talk about the other side of the family and the, the coercive side? I think we need to. You know. People ask all the time. They ask me all the time. What What's it like for your daughter to have two homes that are so different? <laughs> and and they'll say like, you know, how do I navigate that? I'm trying to be non-coercive. Do you have any like advice for me, or how do you deal with it? And that's kind of a huge part of it, I think. Yeah, Maggie, I realize I didn't say how old you are, and it'd be helpful to know how old are you. Oh yeah, I'm 23. You're 23. Okay, Maggie's 23. In case you're wondering. <laughs> yeah, in case you're wondering, I was. I'm a whole adult. <laughs> say. Yeah, so you had two homes that were very, very different. I did. I went to, you guys split up when I was we, and then I went to my dad's every weekend until I was 18. 
And that was a lot of the focus of the coercion that caused the most. Well, well to throw them under the bus immediately a little bit, um, for sure, for sure coercive and for sure, like, created problems <laughs> for me. Well, that they wanted you to sleep line. over younger yeah. than she was ready to sleep over. Mm. And that was a place that I just, Ugh. I just wouldn't, I just let, I just defended her choice. Mm-hmm. I didn't have an opinion. If she wanted to sleep over, that'd be great. I would love a break. But I didn't want her to be forced to sleep over because of the challenges that she had with sleep and regulation, which I didn't have language for at the time. I just was practicing attachment ter- parenting and mm-hmm. protecting her right to choice. And I could see that she really, it had a huge cost on her. So every time she did something she didn't want to do that she, she did out of people pleasing and masking, I saw the price she paid. So, she, you know, you would, you would go over and she'd go to her dad's for the weekend and then she'd have to have these massive sessions. It would take her days to recover. And then she would kind of just start to regulate and be in her zone and then she would lose it again. And so I feel like I just, as a parent, it's worth it in the long run. Because if I just kept focusing on the quality of my connection with her, I just kept focusing on the relationship I had with her and that I wanted to be friends with her and allies and exploring together and learning together and getting to know who she was and sharing and not being the boss of her and knowing what was best for her. That if I listened and we shared and we grew together, I just was more aligned with who I was. And in the end is worth it. It's worth it to follow that, even if you're getting challenged. That's what I would say. It's Mm -hmm. worth it because the more we process that, the more Maggie and I deconstructed what was happening. Yeah, I would say your relationship was the first friendship parent child I'd ever seen. Right. Like to see you guys hanging out, we'd all hang out. And then the two of you'd be sharing like friends and you'd have feelings together. Like, you know, mm-hmm. um, it was just so much like friend energy, not in a really like pleasurable, joyful way. Mm-hmm. It was so easeful to be around yeah. you. It wasn't that whole thing where you're watching parents work so hard to control and you feel so awkward. You're around, oh, you're watching it and yeah. you're like, Ugh. Right. I remember like, like, I'm sorry, but this is just not okay. And then they yell at their kid and they come back to you and they go, what were we talking about? One of the things that I noticed really early on was the difference in like the way that I was with my mom, like out in the world. Um, because we get silly. Uh, like we will be in a grocery store uh, and like joking around like to the point of like occasionally i've noticed like people looking at us because we're we're just going crazy in grocery stores and like shopping in like the changing room uh we'll just be wheezing with laughter because and then like i'll go out you know for errands with a friend and her mom uh and it's Uh right completely different just because of the way that their relationship is or like was built i guess um, and it makes me sad. Like, but it wasn't traumatizing for you or, or like hurtful to you to be in these situations of contrast. Like you didn't have, when you were a kid, were you like, oh no, I wish I had parents that were telling me what to do. Like it wasn't, <laughs> that wasn't the source of the stress for you that, no. that I was doing it differently. No, no. But I did, I definitely noticed it, but I don't think it was ever like, I don't think I ever like, in terms of seeing the differences, I was never like, 
oh no, <laughs> something is wrong with with this and and me because I was too busy feeling like there was something else wrong with me. <laughs> it was a whole other thing, but I don't know, maybe a little bit. I think that's something a lot of um, us, like young adults and um, parents now, mm-hmm. really reflect on how we're parenting. And now that's such a uh, motivator for me to, like you were talking about Maggie when she was young. I mean, I have a kid just like that. That's my daughter. She's allergic to coercion. That's the joke um, or the, or the not joke, you know, if that's the truth, um, <laughs> not about forcing her. It's, it's, it, it, if, if I could, well, I wouldn't, but you know, it would be easier. And so that's just, it's just all really touching because I feel like I'm like watching like what maybe I might have. And just you guys picturing you two in the mall together is like, I can't even tell you that that is, it's truly like, it's really the only thing I want in this world. So it's just really touching to hear that. I wish every kid had that with their parent to be able to just unmask completely. Like the fact that so many of us have to just put on an entire mask just to Mm -hmm. hang out with our folks. Yeah. And um, I just really hope that my kid never feels like that. Yeah. So we would be in public or we would be with extended family and there'd be an interaction and I would be tracking it. I would notice her face and notice her reaction. And other people would, would be like, well, she was fine with that. Mm-hmm. I didn't, she didn't say anything. She didn't. And I'd be like, didn't you notice her face go blank? Didn't you notice her get like all stiff? Didn't you notice her disappearing? And that's, that's like, you know, this amazing being here, my daughter, she doesn't speak up for herself in really extreme ways. She didn't have temper tantrums. She didn't have behavioral issues. She was the kid that all the other kids loved and so her signals were subtle with other people with me they were loud because what Kara just said that's how I feel that's how I felt I would have loved to have known you back then (laughs) right (laughs) you know and the truth is I did my mother and I are also friends my mother like I never had to defend this to my own mother she didn't do it perfectly but mm-hmm. I have a friendship with my mother that also none of my other friends had with their mothers. I also had the mom that the other kids could come and hang out with and be themselves. And so, yeah, she didn't do it perfectly. And that's the other thing I would say is... just reminding me that, like, all of my friends love you as well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And that's the other thing is you don't just get your one kid. You get all their friends, like, mm-hmm. feeling safe around you, you know? Oh, So allowing every single kid, if you actually look at them like they are... an equal human being to you, then you're inviting them to be authentic because you're not judging them or want or molding them inherently inside yeah. of the relationship. It's like, it's amazing to just have all the kids over and genuinely enjoy who they are. Right. So right. I this, love that. It, it makes such a big difference, like being an adult and treating kids like people, <laughs> because even if you don't even if you have no idea about any of this and you're like completely detached from the situation, just like having one of my biggest like stressors as a kid was like extended family and like having, as you said, to like mask basically hardcore in front of them all getting guilt tripped into like calling grandparents and stuff. Saying thank you. (laughs) Yeah. Oh my God. Table manners. Yeah. Speaking of, speaking of diversity, been yeah been losing my mind recently in particular realizing how much of like my behavior is like a learned trained thing that i am doing consciously all the time (laughs) uh you mean masking yeah Yeah. and 
yeah. like yeah learning learning so many things about like my childhood that i didn't really know until we started talking about this more and autism. one of the things yeah autism in particular as of recently um and one of the things that was making me and is still actively making me lose my mind is that i didn't know how to say like i didn't know how to smile and say thank you for a really long time <laughs> like she had to prompt me for years to do that in like birthday party situations social situations like that i would just be like she was very polite she was a lovely person i only did it because i could see the social moment and the other people i did it to kind of protect her i got out in front of it and it was just like a little mm. nudge not like because i would offend people right <laughs> I I never, kind of yeah I, they would give me things and i would just kind of hold the object and stare at them <laughs> Yeah. Which isn't to say that I didn't appreciate it. Kids can extend gratitude in many ways that are not just thank you so much. Yeah. They can play with the toy. They can <laughs> wear the thing. Like so weird. Like like pay attention, notice, like, right. like get them on the floor and play with them with the toy and be like and, and why does it have to be this like thank you, grandma? <laughs> okay. I'm so having so many thoughts. Yeah. I can't decide which one to grab onto, but I can say that Tori might almost 12 year old has this best friend and for a while when her and her best friend would come over they would just start ordering me around and yelling at me they'd be like we want we want grapes and i would be like you guys why are you why are you talking to me so intensely and her friend said i don't i'm not allowed to do this at home oh yeah i like ordering you around and yelling (laughs) and also they would be like fuck 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 like they would just be like really going for the course and then when i realized that she just wanted to her friend really wanted to have some power we made a real game of it i was like okay okay let's really go for it you guys order me around i'll just do everything you say and we like really went for it so that it was conscious Mm -hmm. um and playful playful parenting is really big it's really really big we talk about non-coercive like not forcing but what are we doing what are we doing and playing is like, yeah, I'm still, still, it's still like that with my kid. Mm. She's so funny. Like Maggie is too. <laughs> it sounds like, yeah, it's just totally sounds like it's like that right within inside this conversation and like in the mall with you guys, you're still playing. No, like I, I, one of my favorite examples that I always think of in terms of like how, how you parented me <laughs> um, is like one of the biggest challenges for parents is like how do i get my kid to do stuff getting out of the house yeah in general was a big struggle for us just because of how we both are as people speaking <laughs> about divergence speaking about divergence but like i remember very vividly being i don't know three one of the big no even younger than that maybe two or three i don't remember but uh like the do you remember the white rabbit yes we must follow the white rabbit to get me out the door because it was like it was the only thing that could motivate me it was like oh my god it's a game it's a game yeah it's a story what are we doing we're on an adventure (laughs) i was like hell yeah sign me up was the white rabbit just an idea or was there like a alice in wonderland she'd been watching Mm -hmm. alice in wonderland she was in and out she was she didn't want to leave the house to go get groceries because she was busy researching story (laughs) maggie story is everything Mm -hmm. and so just an inspired moment i just said oh no where's the white rabbit (laughs) he went that away we have to follow the rabbit like within seconds, she was out that door. I had to chase her out the door, mm-hmm. you know, and then the whole grocery trip was all, we were just Alice in Wonderland looking for the white rabbit. It was effortless. Mm-hmm. Of course, there were so many difficult parenting moments that 
I just, I guess what I would say is that's not what matters the most. Like we're, you don't have to do it perfectly. And mm-hmm. I didn't have a community and I didn't have a paradigm. I had, I stumbled across this or that. I found playful parenting. I had my somatic practices and it still worked out because I just kept going for the love and the connection. Yeah. And our kids, your kids will forgive you so much that you don't remember or care about all the ways I didn't do it perfectly. Mm-hmm. And- oh yeah, and to be clear, as much as as much as I'm, you know, praising you, yeah. and I will continue to do so. Yeah. Uh, yeah, definitely didn't do it perfectly. Well, Maggie, uh, at the beginning, I think you made a comment that was like, my perception of it was a little different, or it was um, in your kid brain, right? Hmm. When there was coercion, like you were saying, like, do you remember that, or what? what was your um, impression of that? Like, did you grow up being like, oh, my relationship with my mom is so peaceful and naughty da. And like, there's never, I just am always at ease. Oh. Yeah, no, definitely not. Like it was definitely, you know, better. It was the, it was the best like option I had for a very long time in terms of like my perception of my parents being like, oh, I had a, I had a preference uh, very early. But no, we we had issues all the time. No, we, <laughs> we worked, worked them out. out. Yes, but like we're still working them out. Like yeah, we had because we we struggled for sure with cleaning. Like, cleaning. Oh God, cleaning. I was a I was an extremely unhelpful child. You know, she has flaws. I also have flaws. I was a terrible child. <laughs> like well, I was unhelpful. I did not. Some kids, some kids are like, "Ooh, let me come and help you with this little task." You set them up with a little task, and they'll do it. Um, she would set me up with tasks, and I would find objects to play with. Well, know? like if you set up painting, she wouldn't paint on the paper; she'd paint all over herself. Yes, she'd play too. with the water. It would just, you know, if if she was like, "Let me help you water the garden," <laughs> the plants no, would not get water. No, I would play with the hose. She'd play with the hose. I have all these photos of her, like. I was gardening. Actually, I found one the other day. I should share it with you guys. I was gardening and I was trying to get the like little edge trimmer thing in with plastic this tubing. plastic tubing thing. And I turned around and she had stepped inside of it, wrapped it around herself and was kind of like, she was a, she was a princess. She was a character. It was a whole thing. And that was, she was like eight. She didn't like doing things. She liked playing and story. Mm-hmm. And so to make her focus on like chores and stuff was an agony yes. and so that's where i would lose it because and i had i would shame you her. tried very hard yes and you did but you tried very hard to like find ways around it and the problem was is that there was very few like you there was no right, right way to do it and right. so you something and it would make me upset because of the yeah. nature of cleaning and how it is sucks right. um then i would get upset and then you would be in, like pretty instantly go okay i'm gonna stop doing this and we're gonna figure this out and we eventually would repair the 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 moment and you know do the task and then move on like it was pretty it was definitely years and years of like the same conflict mm-hmm. <laughs> the same couple conflicts of like basic executive function tasks and self-care 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 all like just to add this in that it revealed also my distress my distress about cleaning my places where Mm -hmm. i felt overwhelmed places where i was struggling that i was i was pulling on my daughter Mm -hmm. i wanted her to rescue me i wanted her to (laughs) participate i wanted her to and i also was trying to make her be a, a good person 
You know, it was all the places where I was trying to impart values and like family values and like cultural values. And, and in that, in that, all my distress would flow in. And that's where I, I had my worst parenting moments actually. And I, the more I like just did counseling and just, I got to a point where I just said, before I'm, I act out all over my kid, I'm going to go get a session. And, you know, Rathia was one of the people I would call and I would just be like <laughs> losing my mind with stress or frustration or loneliness or, and most of the time, like 99% of what was hard about parenting was actually my stuff. Mm-hmm. And yes, it's hard to have a divergent child without <laughs> knowing it. It also isn't because it's an incredible opportunity to, to not be like mean and hurtful and justify that as cultural values, right? Like (laughs) you're using the word divergent. So now that's a frame that you're both using. You've discovered you're both divergent. (laughs) Your whole family is divergent. Almost everyone in it is divergent, right? This is what you're waking Uh, up to. I think so. I, this is new, a new frame for me. Although Mm -hmm. I, so I can look back and see that at any point I could have gotten my child evaluated and that would have, there would have been many, I think, diagnoses, uh, but that was not possible. She was not going to be taking those tests. That's not, that was yeah. not possible for us. And now I'm glad we didn't because many of those things resolved. And then also we've learned how to work with them through like love and not seeing it as a problem, but you know, I'm I'm still learning about that, but I, I feel like maybe there's people who don't have that frame. I would love to hear anything about what that means for you to say you're divergent, to feel that I feel like there's like, um, I don't know if pride is the right word, but there's just like a, like, it feels good to have that frame. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it, it's definitely, it's complicated for a lot of people because of the way that, you know, society as a whole, like wider, the wider Western world uh, like views like any difference at all in their sort of established norm but for me it's been a very positive well it's been a very complicated series of realizations but a very positive one ultimately because it's like it I went from feeling like oh there's something inherently wrong with me <laughs> like since since I was about 13 12, 13, like about when puberty hit, I was like, oh, this is bad. (laughs) Oh, there's something wrong with me based off of the way that parents treated me, based on the way that other kids existed around, like how I felt around other kids. Things that were hard for me that other people made seem very easy and normal and effortless. And I'm like, I'm putting in a lot of effort here, guys. Is that not normal? And them going, oh, no, that's totally normal. Here's how I deal with it. And it's like, The worst advice you've ever heard. (laughs) And, like, there's a lot of conversation to be had about the, like, problems that can arise from, like, getting diagnosed because of all the stigma around it. Pathologizing. And pathologizing. But for me, it's been, it is sort of not prideful, but, yeah, you know. Empowering. How about empowering? Yes, because Validating. Validating. Because it's like, oh my god. What do you mean there's something going on? And I'm not just insane and weird. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. For and sure. that once we understand, now that we're kind of getting a broader understanding, for me, it's been like, oh, I can stop trying to, I can stop, I can choose to stop masking as much. I can identify, I can, and I'm not, maybe I'm never going to be 
somebody who isn't stressed by certain kinds of stimulus. I'm mm-hmm. never going to be someone who isn't really sensory sensitive and that's okay. In fact, it's beautiful. And it means that you can, like, once you understand it better, it means that you can figure out strategies right. <laughs> in order right. to function better. Because instead of, like, just kind of running directly at the task or the problem and being like, why isn't this working? I keep running into this brick wall and I'm still not getting through the brick wall yet. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like, oh, I can... I can build a door through the brick wall <laughs> instead of just repeatedly running into the wall. Yeah, like we can't do things. Maggie and I don't really do things the same way as other people. We never have. And so now we're like, oh, that's that's mm-hmm. that's just who we are. Like I understood her masking because I instinctively knew what it was like to mask. Mm-hmm. And I didn't want her to have to do that with me. And I and I we both find certain things really tasking. Which I think probably like probably made the diagnosis journey a lot longer and just because of like Mm. the way that you were also a little freak yeah Yeah. (laughs) so it's like so many moments looking back where it's like hmm that that probably would have gotten noticed earlier if you weren't also doing the exact same thing right right (laughs) it's like on the other hand i'm thinking about children who are who are neurodiverse or highly sensitive and then they have to deal with battling their parents oh, on sure. top of on top of that for sure on top of that so so you're saying you would might have found out a little earlier but the truth is it can take people a lifetime because yeah. they have to they have to take all the bag the family baggage can you can take your whole life with that before you can get to the point where you realize oh i have differences that are I need to attend to. I have new, I need a different strategy mm-hmm. than my doctor says and my therapist says, or you know, whatever. Yeah, um, my parents, my friend. Or, yeah, and I think yeah. about like unknowingly end up with those strategies where it's like, here's this is what worked for me, you know, and then they try to impart that wisdom onto their kids, which is kind but, of coercion. It's soft coercion, which, right? Yeah, um, it ends up being coercion a lot of the time, which is like be like, like me instead of are you and what's going to work for you yeah i see a lot of that with my um, young adult clients most of them have diagnoses or are self-diagnosed with like things like adhd and asd and Mm -hmm. that's their experience is not necessarily that they had it also like a relatable parent or caregiver but that they had the opposite and they always internalized oh yeah fix me fix me i'm the problem i'm the problem like i have i have folks in my practice who are in their teen in their um early twenties who have been in ADHD coaching for like 10 years with the same issues they had 10 years ago. Not, none of it's been fixed or changed or, or, or moved in a direction that is working for them. Cause they haven't had the person who, you know, has been able to see outside of that behaviorist lens where it's yeah. all the top down, like train, 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 fix, 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 coach, coach, coach. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, God. Right. Yeah. It's a, I'm really not aligned with that pathologizing. Yeah. I really believe in neurodiversity. I actually, think that normal is white supremacy in our culture and it's authoritarian and it's patriarchy and it's it's actually what is normalized in our culture is abuse dynamics justified as cultural as all sorts of things and i'm i'm not for any of that so so i don't think of diversity or di- i don't think of i diverge from that norm yeah and i'm really proud to diverge from that norm absolutely and so divergence oh, is not mm-hmm. i'm I'm pathologized or you're pathologized, Maggie. It's that 
it's that it's okay to have different ways of doing things. In fact, I celebrate it. I love diversity. Like, look at the way that women have been pathologized as a gender. And then we have female folks who are autistic, right? And they're then pathologized in a completely different way. If you aren't a 12 year old boy obsessed with trains, then you can't be autistic. (laughs) You know, if you're not a six year old boy who can't sit still, then you, you can't have ADHD. And you know, back to, back to like, like the, if you just want to be friends with your kids, then they, you could someday you'll end up like I was last night stressing about this interview and Maggie (laughs) saying, Oh honey. And I think you're doing an autistic thing right now. Actually, I think you're, I think you're trying to answer the question correctly mm-hmm. and there is no correct answer. And also you're trying to make sure you say all the right things mm-hmm. and, and get it right. And you can't. And mm-hmm. so you could just relax and be yourself. Yeah. Cause mm-hmm. it's a genuine question, which is, you know, something that I've struggled with before is being asked questions and being, okay, what's the most optimal answer that I could give? <laughs> and it's like, the actual question is literally just, how do you feel about this? You know, what but, do you think about this? Genuine curiosity versus like a I need you to give me the answer, right? But the other piece is like in being friends, it's not just me. I don't have to have all the answers for her. I don't have to get this right. I don't have to be the authority in order to keep her safe, mm-hmm. except in very small circumstances. I don't have to like show her who's boss for her to feel secure. I don't have to like hide my true self from her. I don't have to, I don't have to make her be how I think she should be to succeed in life. I don't know how she's going to succeed in life. I still don't. But I, but, and if I'm her friend, then she's also my friend, which is incredible because she's funny and wise and (laughs) honest and incredibly helpful. She's not helpful in getting things done around the house. No, but she's helpful still not. in other ways that I cherish so deeply. So being friends comes back to you in this incredible way. Tori said to me recently, She was like, mom, I just find you so annoying lately. You're so (laughs) annoying to me. And I was like, sweetheart, we're separating. You're growing up and this is natural for you to find me annoying so that you can feel yourself separate from me. And we like cried and hugged each other. And like, can you imagine like most kids, if they call their parents annoying, they just get shunned and their parent would say, you're annoying. You're annoying me. You know, the things you? you do. And you Wait, don't how dare you stuff and how dare you say that to me and you're annoying me right now and it goes all back onto the kid again. Oh god, that's why our kids And also, do you have any idea fun. what I do for you? Then there's all like yeah. do you have any idea how dare you call me annoying when you know what I do? I work all day and blah blah yeah, blah. So and yeah. Yeah, oh, and what are those? Those are all victimizer voices. Absolutely. We internalize that as internalized oppression, and then we spend billions of dollars on therapy right? trying to get those victimizer voices out while still trying to stay close to our family because we're lost without them because we love them or we're scared of losing their love. It's this idea of like how we pathologize children, how we pathologize things because, because like PDA pathological demand avoidance, right? So absolutely it's get labeled with this or, or like oppositional defiant disorder or, or these things, which are like, you ref- you don't like being told what to do a and B 
I like, I like to redefine it as perfectly reasonable demand avoidance or <laughs> authentic demand avoidance because it's like being told being oppressed feels bad. Yes. And some people are just in by nature more sensitive to that. And those people should rule the world. Yes. Those are the people <laughs> yeah. that we should be listening to because they are come out the womb and they're like, this is weird. See, I, I've started using the word neuroqueer. Yeah. Because I like it better, actually, because it's like I'm I'm not like it, it sort of is like I'm I, I get to be different and it's a good thing. It's like the way we reclaim the word queer, which not, you know, my generation is more resonant with than Maggie's, I think. It really it depends who you talk to. Right, right. That is a hot topic issue. Yeah. <laughs> Reclaiming something for ourselves and being like, it's it's mm-hmm. okay, like fly your freak flag high, you know? Be like, yes, it's I want to be different. I want to challenge authority. I want I want mm-hmm. my daughter. Why why would I want to raise my girl to to do what she's told? Isn't that the most dangerous thing you can think of to do to a girl child? Like to be obedient is to anyone. Regardless, though, like yeah, any, yeah. Any, every gender, every identity is so vulnerable to the world. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was thinking in the beginning, Naomi was saying, you know, Maggie didn't want to sleep at her dad's and I didn't want to force her. But mm-hmm. most people, there's no choice about that with the law. Like they just have to. And I didn't want to force her to go to school. And most people can't do that just you know privilege like the whole issue of privilege and also like most people are like well school's not an option for us well everyone says that oh, to me yeah. everyone on tiktok everyone on all the socials and they're yeah. like school's not an option so there's a really big difference between um saying to a kid i know this sucks i agree with you maggie would say she'd come home and go mom is that a real thing and i'd be like no here's here's what i think like i would support her and i was always on her side if i had had to put her in school i could have done that authentically by by just by acknowledging this is arbitrary this is all made up this is mostly make work like you're going to be fine don't worry about like don't join with the big story that says you have to go to school because if you don't you'll be a failure like actually acknowledge that you don't have another choice if i if you actually have to put your kid in school of course but there's a difference between saying you need to do this because I don't have any other options and we're still in it together. And I've got your back in this to the best of my ability and saying, well, that's just how it is. Everybody yeah. has to do this. You need or to like, do this because I said so. <laughs> we, all do, we all have to do things we don't want to do sometimes. Yeah. No, literally. No, I really like that you said that because I had someone say like literally pretty much that exact thing, uh, except that they basically said like life is about doing things you don't want to do. Yeah. And I remember being so upset afterwards because I'm like, that sucks. Yeah. <laughs> like, That's depressing. That? Exactly. I'm like, well, then what's the point? Right. Like, what's the point of being alive on this earth oh, if it's all about doing stuff you don't want to do? And it, it kind of like wrecked my relationship with them for a long while because I'm like, this, I don't like, I don't like this dynamic we've got going. <laughs> like, ultimately, all it was a like catch-all like phrase in order to get me to do something because Mm. it was a family member's another it was a grandparent's birthday or whatever um and they were trying to get me to come down for the holiday and also (laughs) i was in a i was having a rough time Mm -hmm. like right then as well i was having uh gallstone attacks 
And so it was just kind of like the final like nail in the coffin of that interaction. Where I was just like, this sucks. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm going through some shit and you're going to tell me that life is about doing stuff I don't want to do. Like, it was very dismissive. So invalidating. It's like, suck it up. It's just like, suck it up. Basically, yeah. Because, like, I think ultimately what was happening is, like, she she didn't want to go either. (laughs) She didn't want to go either. And she was like, if I have to go, then you have to go. (laughs) Like, that's what that dynamic was, is it's like... How come you get to say no and I don't? Mm-hmm. What I heard you say, I didn't want to make her sleep at her dad's and I didn't want to make her go to school. Most people would be like, that's not right. You can't do that. We all have to do those things. Fuck you. Yes. And, you know, a lot of the time it is because, like, you didn't, you as the parent didn't get to say no to these things. And so you definitely felt like, I mean, you did, she did go to school at one point. I went to a number of like alternative schools. We tried kindergarten, hated it. We tried, you know, alternative alternative schools. Well, and I- we tried a public school that I went to almost entirely because I had a crush on a girl that was going to the school. <laughs> and because we had neighbors who um, came from another country and for them, they were just horrified that a little girl would would not go to school when in their cultural history they fought so hard for girls Mm -hmm. to be educated and i really i really wanted i wanted this to come in today that i just feel like the cultural cultural diversity is also really i really value it and i honor it and so i remember maggie like taking in those experiences and being like like because those little girls were like don't you want to be educated like how can you not want to be educated this is this, it would terrify them. Mm-hmm. And it was part of Maggie's motivation at the time. And I, I was like, okay, you want to try, go for it. You want to go to school? Try school, <laughs> right? It didn't work for her. And it's important, I think, to be respectful and to just allow diversity. Like, like I just kept, the way I stayed with it was I just kept saying, I get to do it differently. I get to mm-hmm. try this my own way and make my own authentic mistakes. Mm-hmm. And you know, you well, do. I just I think that people also like if you're talking to a regular person who's interviewing you two, they'd be like, well, how did it come out? Like, like, what are you doing, Maggie? What's your resume? I I, I'll admit that I've kind of been waiting for that question because that's been what dreading people it. always ask. I had at a dinner party, I mentioned that I was homeschooled because it comes up yeah. a lot because that's every adult's only talking point is like, oh, how school. How's school going? What's how are you doing? What's your plan for the future? It's like they only have so much they can talk about with kids. Maggie, um, I love you. That's so true. So true. <laughs> Everywhere we go, people say to my daughter, "What grade are you in?" That's what exactly. I what grade are you in? She'll I say, "I don't know." <laughs> <laughs> that's a great answer. I wish that I'd said that <laughs> because, and I kind of did because I didn't know what grades were. Like, I didn't know any of the, like, ages that correlated with grades for a really long time. I still don't really. And then they asked me if I could read. That was their follow-up question, was, can you read? Yeah. But they also started talking to her, like, maybe she was really, yeah. can you speak yeah. English? Like, at that time, you were taking, like, as many books out of the library as humanly possible. Exactly. It's like, I started reading extremely early, in right. fact. I wonder if it's because maybe you were curious about learning naturally. Oh, and no. And I wanted to to mention that actually is like in terms of school, 
the reason school didn't work out for me wasn't because I didn't like learning. <laughs> like, I loved learning. And I loved learning so much, even as a child, that like, I would, I was weird about it. <laughs> for a little while, I had this phase. The general consensus, like from the general population, people who weren't homeschooled, they'll say like, all the homeschooled kids I know were freaks and they were all like weirdos and hippies and all this yeah. disparaging language around wow. who they are now and what they were like then and all this stuff. And, and I know what I know for sure, after all of the work that I've done with kids and my experience Kids are hardwired to learn regardless of how their brain works. Like they will go out hungry for knowledge and exploration. However that looks, it might not look like sitting in a classroom, but they're mm. learning. They're desperate. Like that's just, that's a fact. Yeah. The problem arises when, yeah, like you're, you can't learn in that, or like it's harder for you to learn in that school environment as it was for me. I being forced to focus on subjects that like I had no interest in like yes. geography. Right. It's like everyone needs to know math. You have mm. to learn math. Everyone's so intense and weird about math because it's so important in life or whatever. And I didn't like it. I'm good at it. I'm very good at math and like math related stuff. Coding. I love coding. Um, hate math. <laughs> uh, never wanted to do it. I think I stopped at grade like four. We had like workbooks for math, yeah. homeschooling, and I stopped at grade four because I hated it. We couldn't make me do it. I was considering higher education as one does at my age. Um, and because I was homeschooled, I have to go through, you know, alternative routes. Uh, and one of those things is like passing equivalency tests. But in order to pass the equivalency test, I would need to know math <laughs> for certain courses. And so I took a math course because I'm like, if I'm going to go, I was considering going into game design. And in order to go into game design, I would need high school math, basically. And so I took a math course and it basically sped me through grades of math that I would need up to grade 12. And I passed the course and I got like straight A's basically. See, for people who don't know what unschooling is, it's self-directed learning. So it's it's children like they gravitate towards things, they absorb things like sponges and the parent supports them and gives them whatever they need to go into that and they are allowed to dive into things full mm -hmm. and spend all their time on it if they want. Some kids will just like make slime for fucking, you know, <laughs> months and then that's oh. over. Uh and the, you know, and that's their science you know, <laughs> that's their science lesson. But um, the other thing is that when a person decides they're interested in something for a reason and they are motivated on their own to learn it, it's like what you're saying in one year, you're just like, do, 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 do. And you're good. You know, you're, you find out you're good at it and, and you're learning it for an actual reason. Exactly. The, it, oh man, it improves the motivation so much because it's like, okay, I want to get to there. And it always, that's one of the things that made me so mad about math specifically is that everyone was so intense and weird about math as a concept mm -hmm. that I had to learn. And I was like, why though? <laughs> I'm, I'm just, that's me. That's so me. I never understood math. I never understood the point. I was in grade four doing long division and I was coming home and in my head, my little grade four head, I was going, what the hell? What are you doing this? Well, but you know, you were just saying how you learn grade three to up into university. And I was just thinking in my head, I don't think I went to school. Okay. All those years I went to high school, went to elementary school, junior high, da, da, da. went to university. I still don't know any of that math. 
just so everybody's clear, here's someone who did not go to school and didn't learn the math in the way that schools teach it. Here's someone who did go to school, didn't learn the math in the way that schools teach it. Exactly. Like, thank you for reminding me because one of the points I wanted to make is that I did that whole course and I gave it a fair shot and I was good at it. Straight A's that I didn't study for and didn't deserve (laughs) because I would do all of my studying literally the night before and then I would take the test. But at the at the end of it, I still don't like it, <laughs> basically. And one of the things that used to bother me in particular, and the reason I bring this up, is because my dad would was, you know, much like the geography, he would be like, math is important, you need to learn math, and would be like, one day you'll need it. He would, like, do all this stuff to, like, be like, Here, look how explaining stuff to me, as if that would then make me go, oh, <laughs> you know. And so I was like, okay, I'll do the math course because I need it for another thing. I will give it a shot. And I did the math course and I hated it so much that I'm not going into game design because I'm like, if I go into game design, I'm going to have to do even more math. And that makes me feel ill. I'm just curious, like, what are you up to, Maggie, in your life? Uh, I, I pivoted very hard into like more like admin um like i it turns out that i really like administrative tasks i love spreadsheets i love forms i love documents i love tables (laughs) um i love organizing information and like logging stuff um and i've been doing that for fun forever and so i realized hold on is this a thing that i could do and get paid (laughs) could i get paid to make really pretty documents um, turns out yes. So probably pivoting in that direction. But other than that, the stuff that I enjoy doing <laughs> is is like I love coding, I love web design. I got really into web design and and stuff. Coding. I just want to put in a little thing. I lead parent support groups for parents who want to transition from authoritarian parenting to non-coercive collaborative conscious parenting. And Maggie is my tech assistant in my groups right now. Yeah. And and even though she's great at tasks and holding the Zoom space and just managing all the details, I actually find your emotional awareness, the depth of your presence, it's really profound. So it's, yes, you love all those tasks, but it's really you that makes that all work for me. For most of our evolution, anthropologists coming out here, right? For most of our evolution, we we apprentice, we we find, we pay attention to the kid and we say, what is their nature? What would they might who might I apprentice them to? And then they're <laughs> living and making and working all right. at the same time. And yes, there's there was a kind of authoritarianism in that, in the master apprentice model you know, depending on the culture and depending on where, but, but this idea that we got to like do this like general study and be like everybody else. I mean, there's opportunity in generalized education, but there's also a shadow in it that I just think we're evolving right now. And we're at a difficult place in our evolution. Well, it's capitalism. As humans, <laughs> yes. Capitalism ruins everything. Right. 
Right? Well, and capitalism is failing hard right now. It's failing mm-hmm. hard. So the original Thank sort God. of public education was actually lifting people up and giving them access. I'm not anti-school or anti-education. Mm-hmm. I'm anti-authoritarian oppression. Mm-hmm. I'm anti, you know, I read John Taylor Gatto and Paulo Freire, The Pedagogy of the Oppressed. Like there's some really weighty interesting thinkers that you can read that really help to give some perspective to like why we might want to raise our children differently not not to obey rules not to go to public school just because everybody else is doing it like if you have to okay you have to and Mm -hmm. i would i'm not telling anyone what to do but i just don't think that those things that we that we think are so important are as important to the making of a full human being. Well, that's why I, I want to know what you're into, Maggie. But I also feel like the the success, quote unquote success, is just in relationships, being able to be close to people, yeah. being able to take in love and give love, being mm-hmm. able to, yeah, to figure out what being you want. Being able to articulate your opinions like you have so well for the last hour. Right. Yeah. Right. And and what? Um, how do we measure success? So in, I feel like uh, in the in like the non-coercive collaborative conscious parenting philosophy, it's relationship first, believing that that's actually matters more than getting yeah. things done, keeping things clean, being on time, being polite, being well behaved, following orders, getting good grades. That it's actually more important. It's more important. And I yeah. absolutely has, that has worked out. Yeah. That has, that has panned out. Now, do I still wake up in the middle of the night and worry about my daughter? hundred <laughs> percent, no matter what. I had a friend who was parenting completely different than me. And I was, I was talking to her about this and she said, I'm doing it opposite to you. And I still wake up worrying about my kid. Like no matter how you do it, I look at the world and I say, I don't know how, anybody can be looking at the world as it is right now and and feel confident about what their kids should do to Mm. survive or be well in this world. I think it's a challenging time in history. And I think we need divergent thinkers. We need creative, strong people who are going to do it differently. I think we need a kind of revolution, actually. Mm -hmm. So yeah, do I wake up in the middle of the night and worry about how she's going to make a living and yeah, of course I do. I, of course I do. But I, I also, I know adults that I'm worrying about how they're going to make a living. Like we've been to school, I was gonna say, like, got all the education. Like it doesn't necessarily mean that you don't struggle. Yeah. And also like, I don't know, the, the measure of success has always been a big thing for me mm. uh, as the child <laughs> in this dynamic, because it used to make me very nervous. Yeah. In terms of, not in terms of like, oh, I'm so worried about my future. It was mostly like, I'm so worried about what people will think of me (laughs) like think of me and also think of the things that we're doing and judge them based off of me as like a measure of success right and justify myself for doing things certain ways your your stress about your success is about what other people would think of you that that you have that which how could you not how could you not with this level of pressure on young people oh my god i just i find it's so annoying that like the only thing that most adults will like talk about with children is like success basically are you hitting your milestones according to plan like 
Have you? It's really looked- interesting. You know, you'll ask um somebody like I was just thinking about a comment someone made recently about their grandson. Oh, um, he's a he's into hockey these days and he's doing really well with it. Mm-hmm. What about he loves it? Yeah, got to be like he scored five goals or he's uh he's at this position now and he's it's like always about the performance like he just it's really implicit and it's really just sort of like low-key like a low little comment like that that mm. implies definitely that everybody's tracking all the time like how's how where are you in, in the ranks you know the interests the actual like genuine interests of the kids just kind of disappear and all that because it's like well if they're not you know related to performing then what's the point um right i was extremely and still am very performance resistant some kids are very performance forward they're like oh this is working for me actually (laughs) (laughs) you know like i can make this work for me rather um Mm -hmm. and i was just like i this sucks and i hate it and i'm not doing it (laughs) and you can't make me actually (laughs) and i remember it was hard for me at first yeah right I wanted her to perform to justify mm-hmm. what I was doing and make it look like it was all worth it. Yeah. I have I that. I have that with my kid. We're, we're talking a lot about relationship in, and then the system, the system. And then how do you relax and thrive in relationship with a system with, that has so much expectation and pressure and survival needs that you have to consider all the time. And the way we're living is so unnatural and so, mm-hmm dysfunctional and so stressful and so out of alignment we're trying to find how to be balanced when everything is so out of alignment yeah and so i feel like the thing that makes my heart soften is when i think about being being close with my daughter that's the only thing that makes me feel good (laughs) when we're talking about this it's like we are close. I am really close with my daughter. She comes home for, she just went with her dad to a party all day Saturday and said, she comes home. She just has to unload the whole thing on me. And then this happened and that bad. I didn't like this. And I did And then I, you know, she just tells me everything and my whole body relaxes because she's telling me what's going on. I'm just hoping she can always do that. I'm so scared that someday she won't tell me anymore, but so for right now she needs that. Especially in relate. It just reminded me of like, this this thing of like a lot of that I hear a lot of parents say of like my kid won't talk to me mm-hmm. you know my kid won't talk to me my kid doesn't tell me anything like I tell my mom everything uh <laughs> have my entire life for sure like my dad still currently to this day uh will like make little little remarks to to my mom about like oh you know she doesn't she doesn't ta- tell us anything <laughs> I think the thing that drives me crazy about it is like how little parents fully are blaming it on the kid. Yeah. <laughs> like there is absolutely no self-reflection happening. Yes. That whole paradigm where it's just like, hmm, my child won't talk to me about stuff. <laughs> Surely this is not, this has nothing to do with my do you know actual- What they'll do, Maggie, is they will call me, I'm a child therapist, and tell yes. me to fix their child and make yes. them talk to them. Also, it's like, or they just say kids today. And yeah. what are you going to do? One of my principles was not to get oppositional, not to be on the other side, but to be on the same side. And that's how I'm as a therapist as well, is a, like, I literally will move the chair and sit beside someone to make the point. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Of like we are on the same side of whatever this issue is. Like I just didn't want to be opposite. 
you know? Mm-hmm. Well, I do that, you know, um, Tori's really into shopping. Now, I've never liked shopping. We go to the mall regularly. I never, ever thought, you know, and if I was just like, you know what? I don't like the mall. Go with your friends. But I'm like, I'm going to figure out how to like the fucking mall. And I do like it now. We have a great time. We bond so hard when we go shopping. That's and so that's yeah, really that's because I just I I I've learned I gotta get I gotta get in there and see what why is she interested in it? What kind of you know, she she loves perfume. I generally hate perfume. But yeah. she's really taught me to get into smells. I'm really getting into it. She, the other day she was like, Mom, do you like perfume now? I said, I think I do. And she just got so excited, her whole face lit up. I said, I think I'm really into it now. No, it like it goes such a long way just to like show interest. <laughs> in the things your kids are talking about and like the things that they like and to like not only show interest but like make an effort see what's going on (laughs) over there you know like it's also how you're going to protect them because they can come to you and and know that it's safe that we we had stuff happen where you know where it it was it was tricky territory and Mm -hmm. she felt safe enough to come to me with really hard stuff and she, we had a code where she could say, she could say, mommy, don't be upset. I just need you to hear me. Right. And it's like, okay, I'm just, I'm completely just gonna love you no matter what you say. You know, I'm going to just listen and I'm going to, if I have feelings about it, I'll take them somewhere else. Like, <laughs> I think that boundary is really essential. You know, it's like, sometimes we need to take our feelings away from the kid. It's not the same as being emotionally present, Right. Like reacting emotionally is not the same as being emotionally present or emotionally available. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Such an important distinction. I always say that I there's like probably most of the things I was going to say, I don't say. And I'm so glad I didn't say that. Like a lot of times <laughs> I'm thinking I'm about to say I'm like bite my tongue and then we go on. I'm like, thank God I didn't say that thing I was about to say mm-hmm. all the time. My yeah. first impulse to say things is usually it's not quite right. Yeah. <laughs> Distress. <laughs> Right, okay. it's distress. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, um, Tori spent the day at a party, and when she came home, she said something like, I thought all the men were creepy. And she said, um, that's probably just me, but that's how I felt. And I was like, okay, just be quiet. Just listen. Don't say anything. <laughs> you know? And I, I just listened. I said, oh, yeah, that, that, tell me more. You know, there's so many places I could have gone with that. Okay. She's hitting puberty. So, and she's interfacing with the world now for the first time. Like what is male energy like that she has to start to interface with? And I was like, okay, I get, this is very important that I don't say anything stupid or she might never tell me about it. Shut the fuck up. Don't say yes or no. It's reminding me of actually a much younger experience where I, was confronted by this with Maggie where she was probably four and we were at a friend's house and it was Christmas time and her friend had been given a Barbie for Christmas and like the, her first Barbie doll. And this little girl was so into that kind of feminine stuff. And her mother had taken it immediately out of her hand and put it away. And she'd never seen the Barbie again because her mother's values were feminist and she didn't, she wanted so much for her daughter to be free from all of that stuff. But the effect on her child was devastating. Mm -hmm. And I remember that example and, and 
you know, seeing that and thinking, oh, uh, even if I think I'm imparting something important, you know, and, and for me, Maggie was really into all the all the TV movies, all the movies. Oh, princesses. Lots of, lots of, and she was watching like a, a Sleeping Beauty, one of the Disney ones. And at the beginning, there were these silly little fairy dances. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and the whole that. time she was watching it, I was in the background, sotto voce, basically being like criticizing it. Like, oh, that's so stupid. Oh, my. I was like releasing all my distress about coercive femininity and like blah, blah, blah. Right. And Maggie at two and a half was like, mama, put that on again and you go away and you don't talk. (laughs) And in that moment, I was like, oh my God, I've been shaming her genuine interests. Mm -hmm. I started asking her as a consequence of that realization, like, what do you see here? What do you love about this movie? And I was concerned about like, oh, you're learning about marriage and all girls have to be married and the male gaze and all this feminist analysis, which I think is valid. Mm-hmm. But for a two and a half year old, maybe pay attention to what they're genuinely loving. And I, and she, I said, what do you think marriage is? And she said, oh, marriage is and then you dance. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? And I started to ask her like what she was getting. What do you love about these little fairies? What are you noticing? And then having conversations at her level about it rather than trying to form and shape her and that it's like put that analysis aside and really be present and then this whole dialogue and relationship opens up do you have any um like uh words of wisdom when stuff is really hard you know you were talking about playing in the context of getting her out the house like when she's a young child and obviously that's my experience right now it's like how do I play when I'm literally spent like one brain cell really just ticking along and I'm like can you give me some words of uh hang in there or you know like you said it's not always it doesn't have to be perfect yeah like do you guys have any like just words that, of wisdom. I would say yeah because exactly that sentiment of like it doesn't have to be perfect I'm remembering many instances where she was like fully passing out on the couch yeah. uh I was just like toddling around the room uh doing my little thing I was basically just playing around her and um was really into for a while I was really into like pretending to make a uh, like ice cream of like, what would your like ideal ice cream sundae be? And like, make her like come up with this elaborate thing because I really liked the like thought process of it. And she would just be like fully on the couch, just like, yes, I would yum, like- Yum, yum, yum. Yum, yum, yum. <laughs> <laughs> yum, yum, yum. Give me the special. <laughs> <laughs> Acknowledging your your kids' stuff. Um. And also, like, telling them stuff as they get older, like, mm-hmm. you don't have to be a, a, like, older kid or a teenager in order to start having conversations about stuff. Right, because... like, you can say to your kid, mommy has two brain cells left today. Mommy's tired. So Mommy's I'm going to lay on the couch and say yum yum, and you tell me all about the ice cream toys or whatever, exactly. you know? Exactly. You can totally like, do that. That's so true. And you're allowed to be authentic with them. Uh-huh. Yes, you can be, you can I, be I real. Like, well, I, at one point I, I told Maggie, um, this is monster mommy. Monster mommy does not behave well. And I don't want to be monster mommy. 
And Monster Mama was just whatever it was. Like I would get getting in and out of the car, I would lose, I would lose it. There were certain <laughs> moments where, you know, out in the world where I would lose it. What you're saying, like brain cells gone, everybody's hungry. I, I'm the one that's got to drive the car and get us home and get lunch and do all the things. And I'm not feeling it right now. I got no creativity left to play. Yeah. And I would say to her, if you see Monster Mommy, it's not your job to fix it. But could you could just say, you know, take a deep breath, Mommy. And that was our code. And then I would like fake breathe in a funny way that would make her laugh. It's like to, to have the conversation about yeah. that. You Let them like, in. Let yeah. them in your own yes. feelings and your own processing. And, uh, you know, you can absolutely say to your kid who's like two, three, I had a really hard day. I'm yeah. tired. Yes. Yeah. No. Because, especially because like something that I feel like a lot of people don't talk about is that they're going to know anyways. Right. Like kids are really smart and are really perceptive and they're going to notice that something is up regardless of what you tell them, regardless of what you like intentionally show them. They're going to know that something is wrong and they're going to feel weird about it and they're going to pull on you Mm -hmm. in order to be like, what's wrong? (laughs) And how much better for their guidance system and their their empowerment for them to know, to match it up and go, oh, that's what it's like when someone's grumpy. That's what it's like when she's had a bad day. They they're gonna know you anyway. So at least you're you're teaching. Yeah, and and you can also then show leadership of like, I just burst into tears over something really stupid, but I'm still here with you and I love you and you're safe and I can crack a joke right afterwards and I'm still connected with you even mm-hmm. though I I behaved badly and sometimes people do behave badly and how do I how do we deal with that? Yeah, you know, not as a way of like. I'm right and you're wrong, but is a way of like, we're both just, you know, human and like, together. You know, if you got to just kind of sit on the floor and like cry mm. <laughs> and just like sit on the floor and cry with your kid who's also crying, that's so fine. <laughs> like, don't, don't feel bad about doing that sort of thing. Or if it's just like, I literally got nothing for yeah. this. So we're just going to sit here and we're going to have a moment and then we're going to deal with it. But the other thing I would add to that is that these moments are also moments of isolation and also a poverty of enough support and, and maybe don't be so hard on ourselves. I think that we place such a burden on, especially on the mother, on the primary caregiver, whether it's whatever you're, whoever you are, there's so much of a burden on this person to be everything and hold everything. And we need the village and we don't have it. Most of us don't have it. And so I would just like lighten the burden of like, it's, it's a normal sign of stress to, to, to lack the brain cells in those moments mm-hmm. and, and get more support, you know, and I say peer support is how I survived. I could not have done this without peer support. So in the hardest places, I would just hold myself the best I could, which is a good thing to learn to do, mm-hmm. to separate from our immediate reactivity and then to get a session to reach out to peer support and have my feelings and work early and and then i would come back to maggie and i'd be quite refreshed and (laughs) i'd have some to be able to say you know that interaction you know mummy was not behaving very well mummy was tired mummy was got Mm. triggered like and i would try to say it in a way that was appropriate for that age you know and and in the end so amazing well it's just so amazing that you're starting this journey with your kids so little yeah yeah it's so because you're gonna have me you're gonna have me and you're gonna have this community we're building so you won't have to feel like you're you're crazy i know that's not a good term well that's you don't have to... we we don't have that in our immediate like no i don't know anybody else doing this yeah um so that's i haven't thing. had that 
I've yeah. had Naomi. I've had Naomi. That's it. And then I met Vivek. And that's right. And ultimately, I would say it, it's okay. It'll be. It'll be. It's that love. When I heard, when I hear people talk about how much they love their kid and how they want mm-hmm. to be close, just keep putting that first. And yeah. Be, that's what's gonna come through. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Relationship simple. first. It's yeah. like yeah, yeah. One of the things that always like weirds me out about other parenting styles or whatever is uh this emphasis on like teaching kids mm-hmm. um through emotional moments and it That's always freaked me out to see because you know I'd see videos on, like on TikTok TikTok really thinks that I'm a young mother um <laughs> and I would see all these videos of people like showing off basically uh like teachable moments um and like you know how to how we you know talk about stuff during blah 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 when my kid is having a meltdown um and you know if that can be a teachable moment for you great but i think ultimately the emphasis should always be on connection first rather than anything else including this idea that like oh this is a great opportunity (laughs) you know if like i'm if you as the parent are not the one freaking out in that moment and it's like a kid problem or like a meltdown problem it's like just just get down just get in there (laughs) Yeah, like when someone's having feelings, don't try to teach them anything. Just be present. Yeah. Save yeah. that for afterwards. Nobody can learn that for later. Upset. That's not helpful. Yeah. Thank you both. You're both so lovely. Yeah. It's nice to get to know you, Kara. Oh, so, so great to talk to you guys. Cause I always say to like, when we have guests, it's like so rejuvenating it, that's kind of what it is. You know, um, it's, I've got one brain cell here. I kind of, you gave me a couple more. It's like, I can go <laughs> down now. And be like, okay. Or we like, I always feel like it's like, we're in this together. Like I can do this. We can do this. Thank you both so much. This has been your kids. Don't suck. You can find me Kara Tedstone at www.karatedstonetherapy.com and on Instagram at karatedstonetherapy. On my website, you'll find links to recommended readings and a link to my Reparenting with Mindfulness workbook, available now on Amazon. You can find me, Rathia Lee, at www.rathia.com. That's R-Y-T-H-E-A.com. There you'll find published books, articles, and music, and parenting videos. Also, I'm on TikTok at Rathia Lee, on Instagram at Rathia Lee. You can book parent mentoring sessions with me through my website. And also, I have an advice from a loving bitch YouTube show that helps people heal self-hatred, and that's Rathia.com slash advice. It is important and essential to put our voices, Rathia and Kara, in a context. We are two white, cisgendered, straight, middle-class women living with financial and societal privilege. Because of this, our perspectives are limited and do not reflect the realities of all of our listeners. This podcast will feature guests with expertise around conscious parenting who differ in race, class, abilities, sexual orientation, and histories from us to broaden the conversation and reflect the lives of as many people as possible. 25% of the proceeds of this podcast will go to creators of color who have been mentors and influences on our work and in our growth as parents. 
If you like our show, please subscribe and stay tuned for more conscious parenting advice and insights. And check out our link tree at linktr.ee slash your kids don't suck to donate and connect with us.